Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Avinder, which is part two of our clinical assessment series. Today, I'll tell you about new cognitive tests and advancements in the existing tools for clinical testing for Alzheimer's disease. With every new study on Alzheimer's disease, we are one step closer to understanding this disease better, diagnosing people faster, and helping people more effectively. Get ready to hear about some of the latest ways that scientists and clinicians are trying to do this. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. I'm your host, Ellen Kosh, and thank you for joining me today for this episode of Aminder. If you haven't already, I recommend you tune into part one of this series after you finish listening today. That one is hosted by Sarah, and it covers papers that detail new cognitive and non-cognitive symptoms that can be used to diagnose Alzheimer's. This includes things like eye blink rates, olfactory tests, and motor control. Like I mentioned in the intro, today I'll be telling you about the latest assessment tools and some advancements that are being made to improve existing ones. You may be familiar with tests like the Mini Mental State Exam, Activities of Daily Living, and the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. You'll hear about some of those today, as well as new screening tools, some of which take advantage of artificial intelligence and other forms of modern technology. Fancy. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that at Aminder, our aim is to give you a monthly, unbiased snapshot of the latest publications in the field, but we don't take any deep dive into the papers. The summaries I'll provide you with today are largely based on the abstracts found on PubMed for the month of December 2021. I don't assess any of the paper's methodology or the results myself, so please don't take anything I say today as fact until you have a chance to see the paper yourself. Though, do note that all of the papers we cover are from peer-reviewed journals. You can use our number bibliography to find the original papers and get all of the info that you'll need. You can find the bibliography link for this episode, as well as the bibliographies for every single topic and paper that we've covered, all the way back to when we started this podcast back in 2020. The link to this is in the show notes or on our website at aminder.com. I want to give a huge thank you to the sorting team here at Aminder for expertly sorting through hundreds of papers every month to create these focused, bite-sized episodes that we have for the podcast. And I'd like to give a thank you to our amazing sponsor, the CCNA, or Canadian Consortium of Neurodegeneration and Aging for their financial support of the podcast, and this helps us to buy important equipment and software and other things that keep us running. By the way, if you'd like to support our show, something you can do for free is to rate us and leave us a review on the streaming platform of your choice. It takes minutes and it helps us out so much. This is a way that you can help us reach more listeners who would benefit from the show and get the word out to the world. Thanks in advance if you leave a review or rating, we'll really appreciate it. And if you know somebody who's working on their thesis right now, or writing a paper, or anybody else that you think might benefit from doing a lit review, definitely recommend our podcast to them if they're doing Alzheimer's research. I think they'd appreciate it. In today's episode, you'll hear me use the phrase area under the curve a lot. This refers to the Receiver Operating Characteristic Curve, or ROC curve, and this is a way to measure how useful a test is. In the case of the studies that we'll talk about today, 
This will usually refer to how well the test could distinguish between healthy controls and people with Alzheimer's disease, or AD, as you'll hear me call it throughout the episode. Basically, a higher value indicates a better test, and a value of 1 would represent the perfect test with 100% sensitivity and specificity for AD diagnosis, whereas 0.5 would not be an effective test because there would be a 50-50 chance of it correctly identifying AD versus healthy controls. Today's episode is broken down into three sections, starting with four papers on new tools or modern twists on the old ones that we all know and love, such as the clock drawing test. Following that, you'll hear about three papers on evaluating how good existing tests are at diagnosing AD or cognitive deficits, and we'll finish off the episode with two papers that look at cognitive measures in specific populations. Starting with a paper coming out of various institutions across the Republic of Korea by first author Kim and last author Seo, it's published in the European Journal of Neurology with the title Longitudinal Amyloid Cognitive Composite in Preclinical Alzheimer's Disease. There are many tests out there designed to detect early signs of Alzheimer's disease. However, most of these tests are developed for English-speaking individuals. There's an important need for composites in other languages, and these researchers designed a Korean composite score. Their composite is called the Longitudinal Amyloid Cognitive Composite in Preclinical AD, which I'll refer to as LACPA, and they used linear mixed modeling to study the sensitivity of their composite to cognitive changes and to AD-related brain pathology over time. The LACPA consisted of various Korean subtests, including Korean versions of the trail-making test and the mini-mental state exam. They found associations between the LACPA and brain atrophy of temporal, parietal, and frontal cortical regions, as well as hippocampal volume. They also mention a group-time interaction effect of the composite between amyloid beta-positive and negative individuals. Overall, the authors argue that the LACPA could reduce time and the financial burdens in monitoring cognitive decline that is related to amyloid beta pathology. Next, we'll move on to paper two of the episode by first author Zhang and last author Ni or Nai from Tongji University in Shanghai, China. This one combines artificial intelligence with the clock drawing tests to predict cognitive deficits. Published in the journal Current Alzheimer Research, this paper is called Extended Application of Digital Clock Drawing Test in the Evaluation of Alzheimer's Disease Based on Artificial Intelligence and the Neural Basis. These researchers created a supervised machine learning model for predicting cognitive impairment and AD diagnosis using results from the digital clock drawing test. As you may have guessed, this is a digital version of the common dementia screening test, where patients are asked to draw a clock from memory, and in this case they're asked to draw it onto a tablet rather than a piece of paper. Over 500 participants were recruited, including 53 AD patients, 87 dementia patients, and over 200 with mild cognitive impairment, as well as healthy controls. To build their machine learning model, relevant features were extracted from the digital clock drawing test, and these were used to build a prediction model. The authors reported that their model achieved an area under the curve of 0.78 for screening for cognitive impairment, 0.919 for AD, and 0.818 for differentiating between the two. They found that performance on the digital clock drawing test also best predicted cognitive impairment in the action domain. So the authors believe that their model, by extracting features from the digital clock drawing test, can tell us a lot about cognitive impairment generally, as well as specific cognitive domains. 
That's pretty interesting that something as simple as asking somebody to draw a clock could tell us so much about cognitive domains that are affected in that individual. And one important feature that cognitive screening tools can benefit from is having the ability to distinguish between different disorders, which is explored in paper number three of today's episode. This one is called Diagnosis of Alzheimer's Disease and Behavioral Variant Frontotemporal Dementia with Machine Learning Aided Neuropsychological Assessment Using Feature Engineering and Genetic Algorithms. It is published in the International Journal of Geriatric Psychiatry. First author is Garcia Gutierrez, and the last author is Matthias Gui, and they are affiliated with universities across Spain. The authors here wanted to improve the distinction between Alzheimer's disease and behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, and they did this by designing a machine learning model. They had over 300 participants that had either AD, frontotemporal dementia, or were healthy controls. They used two types of algorithms, classical algorithms and evolutionary algorithms, which sound very interesting. These are inspired by the evolutionary process of natural selection. Check out the paper for all of the details on the machine learning algorithms used if you're interested. The authors report about 84% accuracy for diagnosing the two disorders and differentiating between the two. Out of all the tests they used, they suggest that selective reminding tests, verbal fluency tests, and Addenbrook's cognitive examination were the most meaningful for diagnosing these disorders. Now we'll move on to a paper that also uses machine learning, but in this case to predict functional impairment rates rather than cognitive deficits. This one is from first and last authors Kwok and Lee at institutions across the Republic of Korea. Published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, paper number four of the episode is called Utility of Machine Learning Approach with Neuropsychological Tests in Predicting Functional Impairment of Alzheimer's Disease. These authors were particularly interested in implementing machine learning tools for predicting functional status in people with dementia. Functional status generally refers to an individual's ability to perform basic and instrumental activities of daily living, including things like bathing, dressing, eating, and more complex tasks like housekeeping, grocery shopping, and managing finances. Over 2,500 older adults participated in this study and they completed a neuropsychological battery and assessments of functional level. The authors tested machine learning approaches in predicting levels of functional impairment in these individuals. They don't go into a lot of detail in the abstract, but they state that their linear models were better at predicting this with smaller sample sizes, whereas nonlinear models were more accurate when used with larger data sets. They conclude that nonlinear models seem to f- seem fit to predict functional impairment as long as the data set is sufficiently large. We've reached the end of our first section, and I think it's already time for a short break. Join me after the break to hear about more studies on evaluating cognitive screening tools, including a self-administered GERO cognitive exam, and a test of visual cognition and function. I'm Lara from the Bibliography team here at Aminder. Did you know the episode you're listening to has a numbered bibliography that you can find in our show notes or directly on our website? And all of our episodes come with their own bibliography so that you can easily find and look into the papers that interest you. If you're also interested in keeping up to date with scientific publications in Alzheimer's research and working in collaboration with other teammates, we would love it if you consider joining us. Send your CV and an indication of what you're interested in doing with us to Aminder 
podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. We're back with paper five of the episode kicking off our next section. Published in Alzheimer's Research and Therapy by first author Shar and last author Kataki, who are affiliated with Ohio State University, this paper is titled Self-Administered Gerocognitive Examination. Longitudinal Cohort Testing for the Early Detection of Dementia Conversion. In this paper, authors compared the self-administered gerocognitive examination with the regular, non-self-administered mini-mental state exam for five different diagnostic scores. They used data from individuals who had at least two visits six months apart at the Ohio State University Cognitive Disorders Clinic, and they were classified as either mild cognitive impairment, subjective cognitive decline, or AD. Over 400 participants were included, and the authors found a reduction in scores on both tests for those who converted from mild cognitive impairment to Alzheimer's disease, as well as declines in those that had AD over the entire course of the study. And strikingly, a significant decline in scores for the self-administered gerocognitive exam happened at least six months earlier than the mental state exam for those who converted to AD. The authors argue that this self-administered exam is not only easier to implement, since users can do the exam on their own, but based on this study, it can also detect signs of dementia earlier than the standard mini-mental state exam. So, I think this may be a promising alternative approach to assessing cognition in individuals at risk of developing dementia. This next study also compares the mini-mental state exam to another screening test. Published in the journal Current Alzheimer's Research, we have paper 6 of the episode. Comparison of the mini-mental state examination and computerized brief cognitive screening test as cognitive screening tools in patients with mild cognitive impairment. First author is Chu and last author is Chen and they're affiliated with institutions in Taiwan. The diagnostic tool these researchers were interested in is called the Computerized Brief Cognitive Screening Test or CBC-COG, as I'll be referring to it in this summary. This is a relatively new test, and these authors wanted to see how it performed against the mini-mental state exam. To do this, they tested 160 community-dwelling and outpatients who volunteered for the study and screened them using both tests. For the CBC-COG, they tested internal consistency using Cronbach's alpha test and areas under the ROC curves to look at predictive accuracy for detecting mild cognitive impairment. You can read the original paper for the full results, but overall they found that scores on both tests were positively correlated with each other. The CBC COG had an internal consistency score of 0.706 and reached an area under the curve value for detecting MCI of 0.827 which was slightly higher than what they had seen with the mini-mental state exam. The researchers argue that this test is reliable and valid in detecting mild cognitive impairment. 
We'll move on to paper seven, which focuses on a test of visual memory and processing in older adults. This one, published in Current Alzheimer Research, is by first author Abe, last author Matsubara from Oita University in Yufu, Japan. The title is Association Between Benton Visual Retention Test Scores and Pet Imaging in Elderly Adults. In this paper, the authors look at a test of visual memory and visuospatial functioning, the Benton Visual Retention Test, and were interested in how scores on this test correlated with imaging biomarkers such as amyloid beta and glucose metabolism. 45 people with amnestic mild cognitive impairment and 24 cognitively healthy controls were recruited. The researchers used multiple linear regression analysis to look at how scores on the tests were related to PET imaging results. In their findings, they report that performance on the Benton visual retention test was inversely correlated with amyloid beta burden in various cortical regions, and it was positively correlated with glucose metabolism in other regions of the cortex. Check out the paper for the full scoop. It's promising that scores on this test are related to AD-associated pathology in the brain, showing us that this test is a relevant tool in diagnosing and studying this disease. The last two papers of the show focus on specific populations. The first looks at adults with Down syndrome, and the second is a population-based study in Finland. Let's talk about paper number eight, Adults with Down syndrome in randomized clinical trials targeting prevention of Alzheimer's disease. It's published by first author Silverman and last author Schupf, and they're part of the New York Aging Research Program, and this is in the journal Alzheimer's Dementia. Because people with Down syndrome are at a high genetic risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, the researchers here thought that studies looking at preventing AD should be done in this population. They wanted to determine the best ways to design these studies, including factors like participants, outcome measures, and duration. Using archived data from 185 adults with Down syndrome and presumptive preclinical AD, they found that declines in cognition were seen in the older groups of patients. Patients 46 and above had declining cognition over a three-year period, whereas those between 36 to 45 did not. Based on this, the authors suggest that clinical trials in adults with Down syndrome that aim to prevent AD progression should be done in adults 45 years and older. Next, we'll hear about a study that explores the prevalence and clinical symptoms of another neuropathological condition, tauopathy, in elderly residents of a Finnish city. The first and last authors are Savola and Molakangas, affiliated with the University of Helsinki and Helsinki University Hospital, and the paper is published in Neuropathology and Applied Neurobiology. For our last paper of the episode, we have Primary Age-Related Tauopathy in a Finnish Population-Based Study of the Oldest Old, Vanta 85+. The study focused on primary age-related tauopathy, which is a condition where people develop neurofibrillary tangles as they age. People with this can be cognitively normal or impaired, and it can happen in individuals who also have AD. I'll refer to primary age-related tauopathy as PART, or PART, from now on. This study took place in the Finnish city, Vanta, with 600 participants who were 85 and up in the year 1991. They compared people who had PART with those that had mild or severe Alzheimer's disease. I won't get into all the results here, but a few highlights include this. 
20% of participants in the study had PART. And in the PART group, dementia was less common than in the severe AD pathology group. But no differences were seen between the PART and the mild AD groups in this domain. But both mild and severe AD groups had faster declines in the mini mental state exam scores. They also discussed differences in genetic risk factors for dementia between the groups. And as I've said throughout this episode for most of the papers today, check out the paper if you want more of the nitty gritty details that we don't have time to get into in this show. But I do think overall that this paper seems to provide a useful comparison between the two disorders of this population. And wow, that was fast. We're already at the end of the episode. If any of the nine papers you heard about today caught your interest, make sure to follow up with our bibliography, find the link in the episode notes, or on our website, aminder.com. We have bibliographies for other topics too that aren't covered in full episodes each month. This includes topics like amyloid beta pathology, brain imaging, and genetic risk factors. We have all those topics going all the way back to 2020. So check it out. It's a really great resource that you definitely should take advantage of. And if you do use the bibliographies, or you have in the past, could you let us know what you think? Are they useful for you? Have you recommended them to anybody else? Is there anything that we could do better? Reach out to us on social media or by email to let us know your thoughts about our bibliographies or our podcasts in general. If you have anything positive to say or anything constructive, we really love hearing from you either way, and we really take the feedback seriously. So tell us what's working for you and what might not be. And if you have five seconds to spare, it would mean a lot if you could rate us and subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening with. It helps us to reach a larger listener base and spread the word to researchers all over the world. Better yet, if you have three minutes, please leave us a review. And apps like Apple Podcasts and iTunes allow reviews, so you can leave us a review there if the app you're listening with doesn't allow you to. Thank you so much in advance if you leave a review or rate us or subscribe to us. It's all appreciated. Today's show was a team effort from an amazing group of volunteers. That includes our sorting team led by Jacques Ferreira, our management team, and specifically for this episode I'd also like to thank Christy Yu for reviewing my script, Anusha Kamesh for for reviewing my edited episode, Laura Ambasi for creating the bibliography, and Sarah Luadi for making the word cloud. The music that you hear is by the talented Anusha Kamesh, who is also our editing manager and a fellow host here at Aminder. You can find more of her work on her YouTube channel, AK Music, or on SoundCloud under her name. She and another Aminder host, and actually founder, Nyla Kuhlman, recently competed in the Dancer PhD competition, and they created a really awesome music video. I highly recommend you check it out. It's on YouTube as well. You'll recognize the song right away. And I'd also like to give a shout out to our sponsor, the CCNA, for their financial support of the podcast. And of course, I've saved the best for last. Thank you, listener, for tuning in to this episode of Aminder. I hope that you found this podcast useful and accessible, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Goodbye!